Oh. Isn't that air conditioner beautiful? <laughs> I've, I've noticed that the, the, over here are the people that absolutely love the AC. These guys, the further over this way you get, you're like, I just love it. I would go to church in Antarctica and underpants if I could. You just love the cold. And then what used to happen before we got the aircon was that, that people would sit here till about 10, 45, 11. Then they would then we'd come back after morning tea and everyone would sit there. And I know why, because the heat coming off the doors would make this side a few degrees more warmer than that side. So then people would be, and this would be empty. But now we've got people over here and now we've still got people over here because it's probably still another one or two maybe degrees warmer because you've got that heat coming off, but they're here and there. And now I've just realised we've now got a third section in the, in the church. Does everyone turn away to Paul up the back? <laughs> so as of this week, we've now got three rows of chairs. One, two, three. Um, and uh, they're dependent upon the, the temperature at the given time. Okay, what are we going to talk about? Oh, you know what I love about church? This is what I love about church, is that there's no rubber stamp set thing that, you know, I mean, the guys when they're doing their worship there, some Sundays they don't play all the songs they practice. They, you know, might, might feel that, you know, one song's really connecting and so they'll drop a song or whatever and it's all good, it's wonderful. I, I love coming here and standing here and seeing the, you know, I don't know how to classify people, but I've got the, the, the cool temperature people here. I've got the slightly warmer temperature people here. I've got Paul up the back there. Uh, I've got, there are people over here drawing uh, pictures. Uh, I, 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 hey, wave to the drawers. How you going? I love that. I, I love that, that when we come here, we don't feel that we have to become cookie cutters of each other. And I think that's probably been one of the misconceptions about church and a misconception about God that he wants to get a hold of you so he can make you like that person. You know, the only person that I believe and can read in the Bible that I'm being conformed to the image of is, is Jesus. And I have a, a small sort of snapshot of who he was, not so much about what he looked like, how he dressed, what he did. It's more about his heart and what he was for and his mission and his purpose. And so when I get conformed into his image, I have that. But, but the, the kingdom of God is so broad and so vast. There's so much room for so many people. Uh, and I love that. And I also love the fact that I can, 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 can put a, you know, spend all week putting a message together and then get here and not even share it with you. I love that. Uh, it's great. It's a great thank you, God, for those two days. That was worth every second. Um, but anyway, that's not, I'm not saying that because I'm not going to. I am going to share today what, 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 what is there. But I just love the fact that, that one of the great things about church is it's, it's unity, not uniformity. You know? If I went around this room, there would be so many different personality types and profiles and, and backgrounds and ways of... Uh, you watch a movie... Um, I'm not recommending the movie. I'm definitely not recommending the movie. And I watched it years and years ago, but I'm not, definitely not recommending it. So I'm going to say it, but I'm not recommending it. I'm saying this movie, I'm not recommending it. I'm, I'm unrecommending it, whatever that would be. But there was a movie years ago, I'm unrecommended, I'm not recommending, called Pulp Fiction. It was a Tarantino film. Very out there, don't watch it. But, but, but one thing that I loved about what Tarantino did was the movie sort of shows this scene that goes in a certain direction, and then it goes back 
instead of going forward in the storyline, it goes backwards and it shows the same scene but a different character. For example, someone sitting in a cafe having a conversation and in the background you see Arthur and Martha and they're just background figures. And then half an hour later he goes back to the cafe and all of a sudden the camera's are on Arthur and Martha and the storyline that was happening before is now in the background. It's just an interesting concept that the, the same scene that's being outplayed has so many different camera angles. And, and, and I, I think that's a beautiful thing about the church too is we see things from all these different sort of camera angles. We can be looking at the same thing but the, we're all looking at it from different unique camera angles and there's just something about the, the, the kingdom of God that is so diverse and uh, I cringe when I, when I hear stories or feel like or see situations where it looks like the diversity of the kingdom is being nullified and we're all of a sudden everybody's got to look the same, act the same, think the same, talk the same and so on. And yet I think the kingdom of God gives us broad parameters to experience and express ourselves in God and so on. So anyway, I just wanted to say that. I've got no idea why. It's got nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. But I just wanted to say, get it off my chest. Oh, I feel better now. Okay. If you've got a Bible there, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And uh, let's see how we go with this. We've been look, looking at uh, being filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and empowered by the Spirit. Uh, Luke chapter 4. Uh, is the, the basis of where we've been travelling for about the last five weeks. And uh, last week we talked about being uh, led by the Spirit and we, we looked at the idea that Jesus was led by the Spirit into a wilderness. The very first place that Jesus was led, that the Bible tells us after he was filled with the Spirit, was he was led to this place called the wilderness. And the wilderness is, it has negative connotations to it. It's a place that we don't want to go, a place that we wouldn't take our kids on a holiday, a place where we wouldn't go and buy a ticket uh, even if it was half price. We're not going to go there. We don't like it. And so if you weren't here last week, you can jump on the podcast and have a listen to that. But we looked at this whole concept of what's going on in the wilderness times of our life and in the wilderness spaces. And I think the, the, the reality for me is that wilderness times are times of building the greatest faith in your life. Faith isn't built on top of a mountain when everything is going your way. Faith isn't built on the high moments of life when you feel the goosebumps or every prayer is being answered or you know, you're getting all the bells and whistles of what you think God should be doing for you and so on. Faith isn't necessarily built in those times. Faith is built in those moments in the valley where you feel like nothing's happening where you feel like your prayers are hitting a wall, where you feel like God's not performing for you the way that maybe you feel like he should. And uh, I say that word because I do feel like that uh, there are areas of Christianity where we have reduced God to a, a circus monkey. If we just do this, that and that, God will perform for us. He will give us the miracle. He will give us a million dollars. He will give me a house. He will give me a car. He'll give me a spouse or whatever it is that we want. And all we've got to do is unlock the formula and we can get God to do whatever we want. Whereas I don't think that's the picture the Bible gives us of God. We look at wilderness experiences the great men and women of God had, and they were tough times, they were hard times. But there were moments where they were confronted with this question. Uh, and I guess the question, best, best way to put it is probably this, do I believe in God or do I have faith in God? Do I believe in God or do I have faith in God? James, in James chapter 2, I think it's verse 19, James makes this interesting statement. He says this, he says, do you believe in God? Even the demons do, but they tremble. Do you believe in God? Even the demons do. Every, every demonic spirit in hell, Satan, believes in God. 
He cannot deny the existence of God. He knows that God is there. But he trembles. And I find in those wilderness moments, it's a moment where we're almost asked that question, do you believe in me or do you have faith in me? Because you can believe in me but still throw the towel in. You can believe that God exists but still not bow your knee to him. There are endless stories of people that will, will tell you, yes, I believe in God, but God is this, God is that, God is, is angry, God is a mean person, God is, and I would never bow my knee to God. But they know God's there. They're smart enough to know that, look, God's out there. Last night, I went to the toilet and I saw this little thing called a cockroach and it ran out on the floor. Anyone ever got cockroaches at your house? Yep, yep. Have you got the ones that just the big suckers that hang out by themselves or the German ones that all hang out together? Like, you ever notice that? They call them German cockroaches and, and you never find one German, you find hundreds of them, they all hang out. But the big suckers, they must be Aussie ones, they're independent, they just walk through your bathroom like this. Doing, you know, what are you going to do about it, you know? And I say, here's what I'm going to do. It's all over. But you know what? When I stood on that cockroach, I did not have one ounce of feeling inside me, not one bit of emotion, or not one bit of conscience that cringed because I put my foot on the cockroach. Now that tells me something about me because I couldn't do the same thing to a human baby. I couldn't walk up to a child and just because it's annoying me or running around in my bathroom, stand on it and squash it. I couldn't do that. There's something inside of me that, that knows there's a difference between a cockroach, the value of a cockroach and the value of a human being. There's something inside of me and there's something inside most people. We know that there's something out there. We know that there's something about humanity that sets us above. All these things that the Bible talks about, there's this, this thing on the inside of us that kind of goes, look, oh, there's a parameter space inside of me that this stuff can make sense to me. But there are still those that go, even though I believe, I want nothing to do with God. Maybe you've had bad experiences. Maybe somebody you know has had a bad experience and you've latched on to that. Maybe it wasn't something that happened to you. Maybe your parents passed on stories of what it was like for them or whatever. But, but we have these, these, these situations that happen that kind of harden us off. But we can still believe in God but not have faith in God. And in the wilderness, I think our belief gets put up and we get an opportunity to go, okay, we're happy just to believe. Or... Do we want belief to mould itself into faith? So James goes on, where James says this in, in James chapter 2, right smack bang in the middle of a passage where James says, you tell me you've got faith without works. In other words, you tell me you've got faith, but there's no evidence in your life. I'll tell you, you'll know my faith by the evidence in my life. Look at the way I live my life, and that will be evidence of what I believe. And these people are trying to say to James, oh, look, I've got my belief, but I don't have to show it in my life. It's not necessarily have to be evident. I... Well, hang on, faith is, is evidenced. And when we get in those desperate times where we feel like God's not listening, where we feel like he's not interested in us, where we feel like he's turned his back on us, what do we do? The children of Israel, back in the Old Testament, what did they do? They whinged, they complained, they, 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 they turned on Moses, they turned on their leaders, they got angry. Time after time after time, they threw everything back in the face of God, even though he'd done so much for them. They believed in God. They couldn't not believe in God. They'd seen waters parted, frogs, locusts, all this stuff, but they had no faith in God's ability to sustain them. And there's a big difference between believing in God and having faith. And in those wilderness moments that we go through, those difficulties of life, we find that, that belief comes to the surface and we get a chance to look at belief when we have an opportunity to allow that belief to turn into faith or it can just stay as belief and we can turn away and we can do our own thing. And we can never really grow. See, I think the reason that Jesus was taken to the wilderness first is because a lot of us want to build our faith on experiences. 
A lot of us want to build our faith on, on formulas. And this is how it works and that's how it works and so on. And we don't realise that that kind of faith is like building a house on sand. That's what it is. It's like building a house on shifting sand. You know, the parable of the, 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 the wise and foolish builder. Jesus said there were these two dudes and they built a house. Both of them built a house. It says they both heard the words of Jesus. Both of them heard the words of Jesus. It says they both had a storm come against them. Both had the storm. Both had the wind. Both had the rain. One stood firm through the whole thing. The other one collapsed and crashed to the ground. Jesus says, what was the difference? There was only one difference. One of them heard the words of Jesus. They did nothing with it. The other heard the words of Jesus. Must have had faith. And so they did something with it. And the people that took what they believed and did something with it, i.e. turned belief into faith, they built this really, really strong house. And the person that didn't just heard the words of Jesus. In other words, he was sitting in church every Sunday all of his life, listening to teaching, amening, lifting his hands, walking out the door and not doing anything with it. When pressure came, when hard times came, he didn't get into the word of God, he didn't stand against the devil, he didn't resist, he just went with the flow. Why? Maybe because it didn't feel good. Maybe because it was too hard, maybe because it was too tough. Maybe because it didn't make sense to his intellect. I don't know why. But all I know is this. One person did something with it, one person didn't, one building stood strong, and one collapsed. And I think the first place that Jesus was taken was the wilderness, because I think it's in the wilderness where you build true, strong, biblical faith. Faith that is in the character and nature of God. Faith that says God is good even though he didn't heal me of cancer. Faith is good even though I didn't get the, 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 the girlfriend or boyfriend I wanted. God is good even though I didn't get what the formula promised me. I did A plus B and it didn't equal C. But God is still good. When I was in YWAM years ago, there used to be this, um, uh, 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 what's it called, contraception program, you know, where the ladies didn't want to have babies. They would go on this thing, it was called the Billings Method. Any ladies heard of the Billings Method? Yep. And it's based on basically temperature. So your body's at a certain temperature, you're safe, go for it. But it gets to a certain temperature, whoa, hold off, no more. Let's wait till the temperature's right in this little channel. And so everybody in YWAM, they would say, no, 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 they would swear by it, the Billings Method. It's the best form of contraception. We're all in the Billings Method. It got to the point where we had a joke on the YWAM base, and here was our joke. What do you call a woman on the Billings Method? Mum. <laughs> because everybody said, oh, I'm on the Billings Method, and nine months later, wah, wah. But you know what was funny about it? You would quiz them and say, well, what happened? You know? Maybe the Billings Method doesn't work. And here's what they'd say. Oh, no, no. The, no. The Billings Method works. It's perfect. It's the right formula. It was me. It's like, wow, you must all be really, really dumb. Because all of you made the same mistake. Didn't the first one pass on to the other person? Go, well, don't. This is what happened to me. And then the second one, well, this is what happened to me. Oh, hang on. There's a pattern here. Nobody talked to each other. But they all defended the Billings Method. They all defended it. I was preaching at a church years ago, the first time when we got married and we went over to India, we came back uh, for a, a, a furlough break. I can't remember what the context was. Anyway, we went to this church in Bundaberg and we went there and we preached and I was preaching about, similar to, to sort of this, I guess, about our faith resting in the character and nature of God, not the, the works of God. Because the works of God will change from time to time. His character and his nature will never, ever change. And if your faith's in that, it doesn't matter what happens. You're grounded in the fact that, you know, my God's a good God. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. My God's a good God. My God is a gracious God. He's a faithful God. He's a trustworthy God. That's God. Right? And so I'm preaching in this church, and it was what, uh, what we used to term a word of faith church. Anyone know that phraseology? It was, it was probably uh, taking the promises of God 
and taking them to the absolute nth extreme where you don't... You know, if I was to say, gee, I've got a sore leg, I'd, they'd be casting a demon out of me because I'm, I'm speaking sore demon leg things over me. And so that would be... You know, that was just extreme. If you sneezed, it was a demon coming out or whatever. But you can take some of these scriptures to the extreme. By stripes, I'm healed. Right? Classic example. By stripes, I'm healed. Meanwhile, they're sick as dogs and crook and everything. But nobody... But we would never think about it. No, by stripes, I'm healed. Well, people are dying. There's nothing wrong with that. Stand on those words. I, I believe that. And we've got to learn to stand on the word of God. But we've got to learn to stand on the, on the word of God as we stand on the character and nature of God. That's the foundation first. You see, a, man, a man's word is only as good as his what? His character. Who's heard that phrase before? A person's word is only as good as their character. Well, if you're unsure about the character of God, you'll never trust his word. You'll never fully trust his word if you don't trust his character. Some of us want to trust his word, but we don't care about his character. We don't know his character yet. Get to know the character of your Father in heaven. Get to know the character of your Father in heaven and you will build a strong faith. Get to know the character of your Father in heaven and all of a sudden this will make sense. Get to know your character of your Father in heaven and all of a sudden you'll be standing on the word of God and you won't be like a reed of the sea tossed to and fro because this didn't happen or that didn't happen because you'll always be able to go back to the fact, well, I'm standing firm, I'm believing, and God, you're good regardless. Amen? God, you're good regardless. This is the kind of faith that God builds upon. These are the people we read about in the Bible that go on to do great, amazing things for him, change nations. These are the people we read about in church history who have gone on to do amazing things for God. Well, people who understood faith is not just some sort of switch we flick to get what we want. Faith is a deep-seated belief that God is good. End of story. God is good, end of story. My life might not be perfect, but I'll tell you what, my God is good. My, my life, I might feel at moments like he's not listening to me, but my God is faithful. He'll never take his eyes off me. He listens to me even when I don't feel like it. I know he's there because he's made a promise to me and I know his character. God's not a man that he should lie. I think it's Numbers 23. God's not a man that he should lie. God doesn't lie. But who's God first? If I don't trust the character of God, then I'm not going to trust that he won't lie to me because a man's word's as good as his character. So I'm in this church and I'm preaching and I, I start throwing out this thing. I say, some of you are standing there, you're going, by stripes, I'm healed, but I can see your snot flowing and coughing and spluttering and everything like that. Well, if I'm outside going, if, that's what, if I'm God going, well, that's what healing looks like, you don't need my help, okay. You're sick. How many of you stand there going, my God provides all my needs, but you've got the bills piling up on the fridge at home and it's getting thicker and thicker and thicker and you're panicking, you don't know what to do and you're stressing out, and, but you're just keeping it all together at church in front of everybody. Oh, no, by stripes, oh, after the service, it was amazing. One by one, all these people came up to me. Only when nobody else was there. So I'd be standing here by myself and there was no one. And somebody would come up to me and here's what they would do. Oh, I thought I was the only person that thought that. <laughs> and then they'd disappear and somebody else would come up and go, yeah, well, look, I keep saying by stripes I'm healed, but I actually would like someone to pray for me because I'm actually sick. <laughs> it's like... By the end of it, I wanted to have a second service and go, would you all just talk to each other? You're all telling me the same thing. Everybody's saying the same thing. You're defending these methods. I've done this, I've done that. Here's the method. But you're not getting the result. You're not getting the result. It's not about methods. It's not about methods, people. It's about the goodness of God. It's about the goodness of your Father. And when we get that, when we get our faith grounded in who our Father is, everything else is secondary. You can trust him regardless of what your life looks like outside of that. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter. I can trust God in a fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The book of Daniel. 
Nebuchadnezzar builds this big idol to himself and says, you're going to have to bow down to me and worship me when you hear this bell ring or whatever it is. And they said, no, we won't. Then they made this bold declaration to Nebuchadnezzar. They said this. They said, our God will save us. You can throw us in that fiery furnace. He had a stove, a big stove, stoked it up with fire. And he said, anyone that doesn't bow down to me and worship me as God, you're in there. And everybody just bowed to old Nebi, you know, big statue of Neb. And these guys said, I'm sorry, can't do it. Why? Because my faith is rooted in the reality of a good God. That's faith. Would have been so easy just to bow down and go, I'll just bow down and, you know, get on with life, maybe say sorry later. said, no way, I won't do it. But they made this statement. They said, you can throw us in the fiery furnace. They said, our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. How powerful is that? How powerful is that? How powerful is that? I am busted and broken. I've got all these things going on and my God will save me from it. But even if he doesn't, it's not the result in my life is not a reflection of his bad character. The result that I get is not a reflection of his ignorance of my need. Do you understand? Our faith has to be in that, in the character and the nature of God, rooted and grounded in that, first and foremost. Too many people, how many of us have seen people that came to faith and loved God and powered after God and wanted to read their Bible and go to church and tell everybody about Jesus and then a year, five years, maybe ten years, twenty years down the track, they're no longer walking with God. They're no longer walking with God. Why? Because something happened. Something happened. And that something is allowed to become a reflection of the character and nature of God. I didn't get what I wanted. I was believing for my husband to be healed, and he wasn't. I was believing for this situation to turn around, but it didn't. And now I will throw out my relationship with God because I didn't get the desired result. I understand the frustration of not getting prayer answered. I understand the frustration of of standing in the middle of your life looking around and going, you know what, this is not what I wanted. Everything here is not perfect. Everything I've asked for, everything I've desired, it's, it's... But at no point is any of that a reflection of the character and nature of God. And too many people, we want the goosebumps. We want the bells and whistles. We want the feelings. We want all the goods, you know. And if God doesn't give us what we want, then we get frustrated and we get angry. Why? Because maybe your faith is in the hands of God and what he does. And when he's not doing what you think he should do, you have a faith attack. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. A faith's rooted in the character and the nature of God. A man's word's only as good as his character. It's interesting that when Jesus was in the wilderness, that, that, that every time the devil tempted him... You see, God didn't test him in the wilderness. The devil tested him. God just led him there. Okay? God just led him there. The devil tested him. Read it yourself. 
But every test that the devil threw at Jesus, he fought it by using the word of God. Because he trusted the character of his father, he could stand on the word of God. His father said something and he believed it. And he fought the good fight, as it were. He stood firm. Ephesians, it says, having done, put on the armour of God and having done everything you can to stand, stand firm. Stand firm. Too many of us don't stand firm because we don't understand the character of God. We, we, want, we read the Bible and what are we looking for? We're looking for the miracles. We're looking for the signs and wonders. We're not looking for the, the character of our Heavenly Father. Who is, who is our God? If someone was to sit down with you and say, don't tell me what your Father does, tell me who your Father is. Could we explain to them, this is who our Father is. This is who our Father is. This is who our God is. Because <laughs> if we don't trust the character of God, we will always struggle to trust the words of God. Always. Because a man's word is as good as his character. Some years ago, I was, uh, took my wife on a boat. And this is where... This is, see, this, do you think you love this about church? I said, turn to Mark chapter 4. Have we looked at it yet? Nah. Mark chapter 4, there's this interesting story in there where Jesus says to uh, the disciples, says to his disciples, he says, uh, let's, let's get in a boat and we're going to go to the other side of the lake. And so they get in the boat and they start to go to the other side of the lake, right? This is what happens. And as they get halfway across the lake, something amazing happens. A storm whips up. You know the story? This big storm whips up. Jackie knows it well. She knows where I'm going. And this storm whips up. And um, this big storm happens. And the Bible says that the disciples are freaking out. Like they're hanging on the boat and they're hanging on the rafters and we're swinging around and so on and they're panicking like you wouldn't believe. I would believe it because I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. I took my wife to the Solomon Islands a handful of years ago and uh, we had to go from one island to another island. So what I did was, or what I always do when I go to the islands, I just go down to the, the jetty and walk around the fishing crew, find a fishing boat that's going to where I want to go and I, I just meet them at midnight and I get on a boat and I go. That's how I get around the islands. Uh, it's better than paying money for big fancy ferries and stuff and it's a better experience, or so I thought. And so I jumped on this boat one time and I, I, I had Jackie with me. We flew in. I left her in the hotel room and I said, I'm going down to the docks. I'll find us a boat. I'll come back. I came back said, right, midnight, we've got to get down there. And midnight we get down there, we jump on this boat. It's a decent, you know, it's like a fishing trawler sort of size. Get on the boat. Boat leaves at 12 o'clock, starts going out. You've got an island here, island here. Uh, and then this big sort of straight through it and then an island way over there it gets out into the open ocean and that's where we're going. So we're going along and as we're sort of going along, of course my wife doesn't like being on boats in the best of times. Uh, and we're going on, the boat's nice and level and all of a sudden the boat, just, you just feel these gentle undulations as we get closer and closer to the opening between the two islands. It's gentle, gentle. And then all of a sudden it's not just up and down, then it starts going sort of side to side and up and down and up and down. And to cut a long story short, there was actually a hurricane, a cyclone, whatever it is, just off the coast of Fiji that nobody bothered to tell me about. And of course when we get out in the open sea, well bang, all of a sudden it's gone. And the boat's up and down and, and, and people are panicking and, and there's big petrol drums, 44 gallon petrol drums on the boat. And it would tip up and they would slide across and just go bang into the side of the boat. It would tip that way, they'd slide across and go bang into the side of the boat. The crew start panicking, they're running down, they're having rope trying to tie the drums so that they're not going and I can see my wife I, I, it looked like somebody cut her fingers off because the tips of them were dug into this wooden thing she was sitting on I could just see the knuckle from there I knew this wasn't going to be good for me okay because she might be in the boat but when we get out of the boat she's out of the boat but I'm still with her and something not good is going to happen so, so 
we're there and, and I'm trying everything I can, everything in my arsenal to try to calm Jackie down and let her know it's going to be okay, we're fine, it's just a boat, you know. So I can't remember the whole sequence of events. I think the first one was I said to her, um, Jackie, it doesn't matter, don't panic. The locals, these guys do this trip all the time, they're not panicking. And then all of a sudden, what do you think happens? All the locals start going, oh, damn it, in their pigeon English, oh, damn it, bot, dying, sinking. Oh, that sounds Chinese, whatever, I know they're not, they're islanders, but still, everything sounds that. Oh, the bot will be sinking, oh, not good, not good. Um, Solomon Island Indian people. And uh, so anyway, I'm saying to her, don't worry about it. They're not panicking. All of a sudden, they all start panicking. Kids start crying. Mothers are trying to calm down. I'm going, okay, that didn't work. God, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. What's the next thing? Then I said to her, look, it doesn't really matter because we're not taking God any water at the moment. And as I said that, I'm braced up against the side of the boat like this. And I said, look, no, don't worry about it. We're not taking on any water. As, literally, as I said that, a wave jacked up, hit me in the back of the head, filled the boat, knocked me over. And I thought, okay, strike two, I'm out. <laughs> One more strike, I'm finished. So the last thing I could think to say to her was this. You know, if you go back to the Old Testament when God gave... When God gave... When God gave Noah the dimensions of the ark, did you know that modern shipbuilding has kind of taken those dimensions and that's how we do our modern shipbuilding? So, so if we do tip over, we'll come back up, it's okay. Well, you can imagine how that one went down, strike three, I was out. That was the end of it. Thankfully, they managed to find this little cove and they ducked in between these islands and we rode out the storm and next morning uh, went. But, but here's the thing I want to say. You should have trusted my word. <laughs> I told you we would get to the other side. And guess what? You're here today. Now, you could have learnt so much through that by just relaxing, sitting back and trusting me. Okay? Now, no, no right to rebuttal right now. I did. So I went and paid expensive money for ferry tickets and we came home on a ferry because I love my life and my wife. And, uh, but here's the point. I got you there, didn't I? In the end, we got there. And, you, and, and, and this is kind of what's going on here with Jesus. Is he's got this, this, in the middle of this storm and it's buffeting around and rocking around and so on. And he's told the disciples we're going to the other side. But the disciples start freaking out and panicking. And what's interesting is this. I want you to see what their accusation is of Jesus. In verse 38 of Mark chapter 4. Can you just whack that up for me, Luke? He was in the stern asleep on a pillow. Now that's funny. I don't care. You're not laughing, but that's a funny verse. He's asleep. Not only is he asleep, but it even says he's on a pillow, like a tontine uh, bamboo. I don't know what sort of pillow it was. Uh, He's asleep on a pillow. They woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care? Do you not care that we're perishing? Do you not care? And the Bible says that he woke up, says he rebukes the storm. But then he turns to them and he makes the most profound statement in the world, I think. He turns to them and he says, How is it that you have no faith? How is it that you have no faith? How long have you been hanging out with me? What have you seen me do? I called you out of your life and I've given you a new life. I've given you purpose. I've given you existence. I've given you a reason. You've seen the authority I have. You've seen the wisdom I have. 
You've seen the compassion, the care, the heart that I have for the lost, for the broken, for the lepers, for the blind, for the downcast. Where have I, in my character and nature, where have I given you room to doubt me? Where have I given you room to question my care for you, my love for you? How is it to have no faith? See, I, I wrote in the front of my Bible years ago this statement. I don't remember where I got it from. It's not mine. I, I remember reading it when I first got saved. It said this, you cannot prove the existence of faith until it's tested. You cannot prove the existence of faith until it's tested. We can rah, rah, rah. Jesus is going to beat the devil. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, all we want. But when we get in the wilderness, when we get in the pressure, when the waves are tipping over the boat, you see, here's the, here's, the, here's the beautiful reality. Jesus knew their hearts anyway. Who's the lesson for? Do you think that Jesus did that because I just want to test whether you got faith or not? Or do you think he knew? Do you think he knew a storm was coming? Do you think he knew that these guys are probably going to freak out? Jesus didn't realise something in that moment. The disciples did. They got a reality check. This is where my faith's at. And that reality check comes in wilderness experiences. It comes in pressure moments where we sit back and we go, okay, that's, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. I thought I was way up here. I thought I, you know, thought I was Peter saying, you know, on this rock, on, the, on this revelation, I'll build my church. But really... I'm Peter, when the rooster crows three times, I'm going to deny you, Jesus. That's really where I am. You know? It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It gives me a, a, a check, a reality, a, a look inside to where I'm really, really at with God, where I'm really at with my faith. I'm tired of people having faith built on experiences and then you fall away from God. And the, the collateral damage that goes with that, all these people... I mean, God, when, when those people stand before the Lord, it's not going to be good enough for them to say, well, my friend followed you and turned away. God, that's not going to be a good enough excuse. But from a human perspective, down here, how sad when I sit down with people and they say, they tell me about somebody else's faith explosion or faith implosion, and that becomes the reason why they don't want anything to do with God. And I think, Lord, are we getting it? Are we understanding that yeah, our faith is based on the goodness of God? John 3.16, the most quoted verse in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God so loved the world. God is good. God is love. Regardless. I wonder if Jesus in that moment questioned the goodness of his father. As he knelt in the garden and prayed, Lord, take this cup from me. I wonder if when he realised the cup wasn't going to be taken from him, did it cross his mind that all to go, well, screw you, I'm out of here. You deal with the world another way. I don't want nothing to do with it. See, the Bible says at the end of his temptation that the devil left him, it says, for an opportune time. You read that? Left him for an opportune time. That's why I said last week, you'll have many wilderness experiences in your life, but each of them have a meaning and each of them have a purpose. The devil left him for an opportune time. Past that one, but he's going to come again. 
And here's what happens. He'll come to test. God will use those moments to build your faith. God uses what, what the devil means for bad. God will use it for good. And he'll build a people of strong faith. He'll build a people of strong faith and commitment to God. There was a dude, I'll finish with this, there was a guy some years back, he was a French dude. If I say his name to you, you probably won't know him, but I'm going to say it anyway. His name was Jean-François Gravelet-Blondin. Anyone ever heard of him? Yep, Jeff has. Jean-François Gravelet-Blondin. Some people may know him as Charles Blondin. 1858, 59, he was the first guy to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Ah, he walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And you know what? The crowds did exactly that. Ooh, ah. He strung a rope across and he walked across. And he kind of, I I read some newspaper reports, the crowds were kind of whipped into a frenzy by his performance and what he was doing. He'd walk across and they go, ooh, ah, they want to cheer. Then he'd come back and they go, do you believe I can do it? You know, carrying a torch or do you believe I can do it uh, at one point apparently he went across there and stopped halfway with a stove and cooked something to eat another point he got halfway across there pulled up a bottle of wine and had a bottle of wine and then walked the rest of the way and so on and the crowds were ooing and ahhing and they were loving everything this guy was doing his performance was amazing they were all for him cheering him on yes he got to the end at one point and he said you know how great is this yeah yeah do you believe I can get across again yeah yeah do you believe I could carry somebody across there yeah 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 who wants to get on my back Nobody. We love the performance you're putting on, mate. We're really in there with you. We'll cheer you on. We'll clap. We'll applaud. We'll, we'll tell the world what you have done. But we're not going to get on your back because we don't trust you enough to carry us across. Interestingly enough, there was one person who did. It was his manager. I don't know if that was for financial reasons. <laughs> Money makes you do strange things. But his manager eventually, the only person that got on his back and said, right, yeah, well, carry me across. Took his manager across. I just sometimes wonder as a, as a believer, I'm, I'm going to personalise this and you can personalise it for yourself. My question is this. Am I on one of the guys on the sideline cheering on Charles? Telling him that he can do anything? Lifting my hands in admiration for his great feats? going around telling other people, oh, this guy can do anything, come and watch him, he's amazing. But then when he asked me to get on his back, trust him, am I still like the crowd? And Do I sit on the edge and do I say no? God wants people who'll get on his back. Because that's faith. And Phil Moody, I think it was, said, the world is yet to see what God can do with one man or woman whose hearts are fully committed to him. And I pray maybe one day that we get to see that through some people in the life of Rise. Amen? Father, I want to thank you for this morning, Lord. And God, I thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. And, and, and God, I, I know, God, just from human experience, there are people in this room right now and they're going through things. Father, things that are screaming at them, God is not good. Lord, people are facing situations right now that are screaming at them, God doesn't care. God's not listening. God's not interested in you. Yet, Father, I know from my own experience and also from what I read in the Bible, that is an absolute lie from the pit of hell. 
Father, I pray for those people here this morning, Lord, that in the midst of their difficulties, God, in the midst of the pain, the suffering, the disappointments, the rejections, Lord, as they keep their eyes firmly fixed on you, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them right now. I pray that you would show them, Father, as negative as what this situation looks, this is a moment where faith is built. This is a moment of meaning. It's a moment of, of, of purpose. God, it's a moment where when we come out the other side, we're stronger and we know how to trust you more. So, Father, I just pray for those people right now. God, bless them, encourage them, strengthen them and walk with them, Lord. And, Father, I pray for each of us here as we go away for the rest of the day and the rest of the week. Lord, watch over us, keep us safe. And, God, I pray for every person in here. Lord, give us the chance this week, the next seven days, to tell somebody about the goodness of God, somebody that doesn't yet know that or understand that, Father. I ask that in your name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 God bless. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Uh, If there's anything we've been chatting about, like on on a Sunday, we kind of... Some days I feel to open up the front for prayer and invite people to come to get prayer, but other days if I don't, doesn't mean you can't. If, if God's speaking to you, or you know, it doesn't even have to be us. You might have come with somebody, but you know, take the opportunity to, to pray with each other and to, to, to ask questions and so on. So um, God's at work. He's doing some wonderful stuff. Amen.